So as you read on the screen there, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This promise that comes from the Apostle Paul is what we see demonstrated in the life of Mary. So today, on the second Sunday in Advent, we're going to look at the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and one of the things you're going to see is that when circumstances hit her that should have totally rocked her world, she stood rock solid. She experienced God's peace that is beyond anything we could humanly understand. Last week, I I talked about the intensifying dynamic that happens during the Christmas season. How our highs get higher and our lows get lower because of all of the memories and emotions that well up in our spirits during Christmas. For some of you, you, your highs are going to be higher this Christmas because of some event in your life, a a new baby, a new grandchild, a a new job, and you can't wait maybe to get to our Christmas Eve services and worship God and give thanks for the blessings that he's poured into your life. And then there are others of you. uh, This just might be the toughest Christmas for you yet, and it's going to be tough to uh, get through this one, and there's going to be an empty chair at the table or that job that you really need hasn't uh, materialized. Uh, we have a boarder, uh, a 22-year-old guy named Sam, and he's okay with me telling his story. Uh, he had surgery last spring to have his pancreas removed. Uh, he was suffering from pancreatitis that was linked to some cancer that had to be removed. Like, this is a huge deal. He came back to Fort McMurray in August thinking he was doing great, that he would step back into his old job here. Unfortunately, that has not happened. Instead, his health has continued to spiral, and this past week he's been back in Edmonton for a little exploratory surgery, three biopsies looking to see if his cancer has returned. He's got another biopsy here in Fort McMurray in a week or so, and he's often in intense pain. He's far from home, and home is Nova Scotia, and he's not lived with his parents since he was 11, so it kind of goes without saying his family situation is complicated. And he's trying to figure out how he wants to do Christmas Day, maybe with friends in Redwater. He's feeling low and unsure of what's before him, and yeah, lows at Christmas get hugely intensified. So for those of you who pray, uh, those of you who are intercessors, I'm sure Sam would appreciate your prayers. I'm certainly praying for him, and... With all that stacked up against this guy, he's quite the trooper. I respect him for how he hangs in there and just pushes through. And hey, we we just need to be sensitive to those whose lows are going to be a little lower and a little more intense during Christmas. And in the midst of those lows, one of the things that I I tried to make clear last week is that whatever you're going through, whatever low you are facing, God gets it. He understands. He, he has limitless empathy. He has limitless understanding. He, he has limitless love, and he can bring help your way. Last week, we were looking at Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. We learned how, dis, how despite some hard news that uh, came his way, that he just learned to keep his head. He, he learned how to keep his faith, even though he was going through a tough season. He kept his hand in God's hand, e- even though there were some difficulties that came his way. Joseph teaches you and me how to stay steady in a storm. He shows us that it can be done. Like, I have huge respect for Joseph. I I find him incredibly inspiring. And if you were here last week, I I hope you did too. So today, we're going to take a look at Mary, Joseph's fiancée, and really his counterpart to the Christmas story. Scholars are pretty convinced that she would have only been maybe 14 or 15 years old. She's from a whole town, and her whole world turns upside down when out of nowhere an angel appears to her and says these words, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Like, whoa, what just happened? And we're told that Mary's initial reaction is she's troubled by these words. I mean, no kidding, eh? I think a whole bunch of stuff is instantly swirling in her mind. She's just blown away by the idea that she would have something to do with the coming Messiah, right? And uh, something else I suspect is even more troubling. She's working through the mechanics of the deal. She's thinking about her engagement to Joseph. I mean, this is complicated, right? And, and so she asks a very obvious question. But, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. I mean, she does have some understanding how babies come into the world, and she's, ooh, I don't know how this is going to work, and I'm engaged. You know, sometimes uh, people will wonder if it's ever appropriate to question God about something. Well, Mary, she shows no hesitation whatsoever. She really wants to know, and she has the guts to ask, what's going on here? How's it going to happen? Okay. God knows how seriously Mary and Joseph are, are taking their commitment to sexual purity during their courtship and engagement. Through the angel, God gives Mary this assurance or explanation. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Okay, what's God saying to Mary? Hey, no worries. Don't worry about having to break your commitment, your covenant with Joseph. It doesn't have to be done that way. The baby will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then Mary, you know, just lets the implications of these words settle for a bit while the angel is there waiting for a response. I mean, are you going to play or aren't you? Are you going to sign up for this or not? And in response, Mary says these incredible words. I am the Lord's servant. This 14 or 15-year-old girl has just had this shocking, incredible news given to her. And all heaven is waiting. Will you participate? Will you cooperate? Are you in? And she goes, absolutely. I am the Lord's servant. I'll do whatever he asks. No worries. Let it be to me according to your word. And what a powerful phrase. What a powerful statement of faith. I am the Lord's servant. If you are a serious follower of Jesus, do you realize that this is your fundamental identity in this world? You are the Lord's servant. In fact, this is how the Apostle Paul would describe himself as he wrote these letters to various churches that we have in our Bibles today. He would say, I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And, and then he would go on to uh, write his letter. Paul would say, hey, there are only really two things you need to know about me. And one, uh, my name, that's the easy part. And the next, and maybe the most significant thing you need to know about me is that I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Jesus asks me to do, I do. Where he sends me, I go. Whatever price he asks me to pay, I pay. Because I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't try to get Jesus to do my agenda. No. My role is to do his agenda. My, my job is to be a part of what he's doing in this world. And here's what really grabs me at this point. I, I wonder sometimes what would happen in and through us as Fort City... If every time the Spirit spoke to us and prompted us and asked us to do something, that, that we would respond like that 14 or 15-year-old girl and just say, I am a servant of Jesus. That's my fundamental identity. What do you want me to do, God? I'll gladly do it. I'll, I'll, it's, well, it's just an honor to do what you're asking. Could you imagine 
between now and Christmas Day, if God prompted any of us to encourage someone at work or someone on our street or in our families, if instead of just, you know, brushing God off with reasons why that would not be possible, what if all of us just said to every prompting that came between now and Christmas Day, absolutely, I am the Lord's servant, and the greatest joy in my life is simply doing what God asks me to do. My, my greatest joy is simply following where Jesus leads. Many of us, we have names of people God is bringing to our minds to invite to our Christmas Eve services. We're kind of thinking about it right now. Should I? Shouldn't I? Well, what if they say no? Will an invite maybe mess up things in our relationship and we're wrestling with all of this in our minds? Hey, when God brings someone to mind to, to invite, what, what if all of us would simply say, hey, I am the Lord's servant. I will gladly give this invitation and then just leave it in God's hands. What might God do if we had courage to follow through on what he prompts us to do? I think it would be pretty awesome. Here we have Mary, 14 or 15 years of age. She accepts the responsibility to be the mother of the Son of God with the simple phrase, I am the Lord's servant. I mean, that's powerful. And then what Mary does next in my mind, well, it's mind-blowing and... And I really want us to see something here. Friends, we we need to let this true story be a huge reminder that we should never, ever underestimate the spiritual depth of the younger generation. And out of her spiritual depths, what Mary does next is she writes a worship song. It's powerful. She grabs some words. A lot of these are words that she grabs from the Old Testament, and she weaves together some of the most memorable words of worship in all of the Bible. It's called the Magnificat. Anglicans and Catholics sing it and recite it today. Let me read to you a portion of what she wrote. And as I read these words, remember, this is from a 14- or 15-year-old girl. Again, never underestimate the potential for spiritual depth in the younger generation. Mary says, 14 or 15 years old, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. I mean, how cool is that? How awesome are those words? It reminds me of last week's baptisms that you saw the video of this morning. The words of faith from Bethany and Joanna, pretty cool, I'd say. What happens here in our youth ministry, building faith in our youth is so awesome. Let's never underestimate the spiritual depth of our youth, even here at Fort City. Back to Mary's story. Apostle Luke writes, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. You know, I just think that Mary was so honored to be the mother of this great child that she was just simply committed to doing absolutely everything in her power to raise him right. Luke continues, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Hey, you know, Mary was a great mom. And it reminds me of some of the moms right here in Fort City. You know, we got some great moms here. So many of you, you're pretty awesome. You're working hard to see faith develop in your kids by what you do at home and how you model servanthood and the love of Jesus in your home. 
you're, you're committed to getting your kids here to Fort City to experience Kid City Sunday after Sunday or the junior high class or youth on Tuesday nights. And so I see kids here who are growing strong in their faith and growing in wisdom and they're learning how to navigate life in this complicated world. And I just think we have a lot of mothers here who would make Mary proud. I do. All right, let's look at another story. When Jesus is older and he's, he's about to begin his three-year public ministry leading up to the cross, there's a really interesting situation that happens between him and his mother. The whole family have just been invited to this large wedding reception. And in those days, wedding receptions were kind of raucous, multi-day occasions like huge parties. Hey, Jane and my, our wedding included... Uh, yeah, we just did the wedding and reception. We squeezed it all into one Friday evening. I thought a candlelit, you know, evening wedding would be cool. In retrospect, I should have done the all-day, half-day Saturday deal. And, oh, and we serve Kool-Aid and pop at the reception in the local community hall. Back in the day, what was an evangelical youth pastor to do? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you don't. Don't worry about it. Really, my wedding was not biblical. In the days of Jesus, biblical weddings went for days and days, and the alcohol flowed and flowed. Not my wedding on either count. But at this wedding that uh, the family of Jesus was invited to, to the utter embarrassment of the host of the party and to the huge disappointment of all of the guests, they ran out of wine, which tells you a little bit about the kind of crowd that is at this wedding. And the guests are all wondering if the host is going to fix this big problem. I mean, this is a downer for everybody. And, and the apostle John in his gospel says that Mary turns to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. And it's not like Jesus didn't notice, and if he didn't notice, he's all-knowing anyways, but I think everybody noticed. You, you do know what Mary's doing here? My, my mom used to do this to me. She'd be making supper, and I'd walk by, and she'd say, we're out of milk. And I knew any smart answer like, so what? Why are you telling me this? Would just land me into some hot water. No, no, I knew this was code for, go get my purse, I'll give you some money, and go to the corner store and pick up a jug of milk. You know what I mean? For those of you guys who are married, it's kind of like when your wife says, the faucet is leaking. It's just code for, hey, you need to go fix that. Now, some of you might accuse me of a stereotype there, but sometimes those stereotypes exist because, well, they just might be true, at least for some, many. So if the shoe fits, if not, don't worry about it. So, so Mary says to Jesus, they have no more wine. And that was just code. Jesus, you go fix the situation. You, you go make sure that the wine starts flowing again. And, and then if that's not enough... John tells us that uh, Mary goes to some of the servants who are standing by some of the uh, water jars and whispers, you do exactly what my son says to do. You got that? Mary has figured out a thing or two about Jesus. And of course, Jesus knows if uh, mom is not happy, ain't nobody happy. And so he turns the water into wine and not grape juice. Some of you come from churches that think it was grape juice. No, it was wine. It's a real fermented deal. And in the process, Jesus saves the whole party. I bring this up just to point out that Jesus understands what it's like to be in a family. How a son honors and respects his parents. He understands the dynamics of living with brothers and sisters, having aunts and uncles. He gets family. He gets your family with all of its joys and dysfunctions. Jesus was with family for all of his life except for those last three years when he was an itinerant preacher with no place to call home. So don't ever think that Jesus doesn't understand the daily grind, the daily challenges of trying to make do in a family situation. I mean, he gets it. Okay, let's leap to another significant scene in the life of Mary and Jesus. 
Very shortly after the arrest and conviction of Jesus, the writers of the four Gospels tell us that most of Jesus' closest followers ran for their lives. They got scared that they might be associated with Jesus, get arrested and beaten, just like what was happening to Jesus. Jesus' closest friends abandoned him when he needed them the most. Peter just outright denies that he ever knew him. Friends, I I get it. I mean, physical beatings take a toll on a human body, right? I, I get it. Crucifixion is no fun at all. But investing three years of your life into 12 guys who, who then run off scared when you need them most, I mean, that's a gut buster. That's a bad day. Let me pause here and ask, under what kind of circumstances do you occasionally deny Jesus? Uh, under what kind of circumstances do you kind of slink into the shadows and not let people know that you are a follower of Jesus, that you're maybe a part of Fort City Church, that your faith is important to you. This is where Mary is once again an inspiration. She played it right here. When all of the other disciples ran for their lives, here's Mary willing to risk her life. The Apostle John writes, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Three Marys. When the men ran, the women stood strong and supported each other as they stayed by Jesus to the very end. By the way, we have some women of strength here, and they stand in contrast to some pretty weak men. Just saying. This time I can say, beware of stereotypes. They don't always fit, right? The point is, Mary did not fade when the going got tough. She didn't slink into the shadows for self-protection. She, she stood right in the shadow of the cross. I imagine she speaks to Jesus right up to his death, speaking words of encouragement and support. She let him know in no uncertain terms that she loved him, that she would never desert him, that she would never deny him, that she'd rather be killed than abandon him. That must have been just huge for Jesus to see her love, loyalty, and courage. Hey, It still means a lot when Jesus sees your love and my love, when he sees our loyalty and courage in public situations. It means a lot to him when you tell people that you do know him, that you do love him, that you're proud to be his follower, that he's changed your life. You don't have to be weird or pushy about it, just willing to let it be naturally a part of who you are. Mary, she's rock solid. She stood at the foot of the cross and watched uh, the one she birthed and swaddled and nursed die a horrible death. She never looked away. This is is an incredible woman. She challenges me. I mean, I don't know about you, but she challenges me. Okay. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the next time we hear of Mary is just after Jesus ascends to the Father. He had just instructed his small band of followers to wait patiently in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would empower them to take the message of Jesus worldwide. And, and then before their very eyes, uh, Jesus ascends into the clouds to be with God the Father. And after that, a group of Jesus' followers, they go to this upper room as Jesus had instructed them, and and they prayed, and they waited patiently. And in the book of Acts, it lists who was in that upper room. And at the end of that list is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was in that room. And soon after that, um, you know, well... You got this room and you got this woman and she's she's older now and she still considers herself the Lord's servant and Jesus told her to stay and pray and she's like, yeah, I'm the Lord's servant. I I did this when I was 14 and I'm doing it now at this age. I will do what God asks, whatever he asks. 
And soon after that, the Apostle Luke writes in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit did arrive with kind of mind-blowing power and the church in Jerusalem just exploded into life and soon churches were planted all, all over the Middle East into Africa. And 2,000 years later, here we sit in a church singing and serving and learning and growing. And this whole world-changing drama that affects right now, every corner of the globe can be traced back to a teenage girl named Mary who, without batting an eyelash, said, I am the Lord's servant. Lord, whatever you ask, the, the answer is yes. You know, it's quite the legacy that this woman has left us. And while those of us in Protestant churches tend to correctly be concerned that Catholics overdo their high esteem for her, especially when they pray to her, when it's really only Jesus we can pray to, I I think we Protestants would do well to give her a little more credit. I'm the dad of two adult girls, and I've always been glad that in the pages of the Bible there are a number of women who can be held up as awesome role models for today's girls, and Mary tops that list. Uh, when I was in Mexico City a couple of weeks back, the passion for Mary there is, is really quite extreme, like a lot more extreme than here in Canada. And, and while I was there, I did, have a, I did have someone explain to me that having Mary as a role model in Mexican culture not only pushes back against the airbrush, pencil-thin, sexed-up images of women that is so unhealthy for girls, it softens men in a male-dominated culture who are taught to respect the role of a mother, even respect the mother of Jesus. I'll just say that the Bible presents Mary as a woman of faith, courage, and tenacity, and that she's not just a role model for women, but for, you know, for all of us. And we'd all do well to ask Jesus to give us the faith, courage, and tenacity of Mary as we live in the world today. The words spoken to Mary by the angel Gabriel at that first Christmas, they're, they're pretty powerful. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So with that, with Mary as our background, we're going to move from this message on Mary and just the incredible model she is for all of us to communion, to worshiping her son whom she served and worshiped. And as we celebrate communion, I want us to remember that Mary was right there when Jesus died, that when all the guys took off, Mary was there. She watched him die, paying for our sin, making it possible for us to live life to the full now and forever. She was always the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ from before his birth to his death to her death. So in a moment, I'm I'm going to invite you to come forward and take bread that pictures the body of Jesus brutally nailed to that cross and dip it to juice that pictures the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. At, At communion, we celebrate that God made a way through the death of Jesus for us to have life. And because of the death of Jesus, we can be cleansed and set free from the grip, the power, the bondage that sin has over our lives. There is power because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Power to overcome the darkest stuff to set us free. Power to take our lows, even our lower lows at Christmas, and turn them into highs. So as you come, take bread, dip it in the juice, and then partake as an act of worship and remembrance. 
And as you partake, ask Jesus to come into your life anew. Ask Jesus to come and fill you again with his Holy Spirit. And then ask Jesus to empower you to live like Mary with faith, courage, and tenacity. It is Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, who has provided for us the power to change. We can grow and become more like Mary because of what Jesus did on the cross. It is Jesus who empowers us to live that way. So let's be thankful. And let's seek Jesus for the power to change. Whatever it is that's in your life that you desire to grow and change, come and partake of communion and use this time to just ask Jesus anew to fill you and empower you and to work in and through your life. We'll also have our prayer team up front, and they too, on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross, they will pray the healing, life-changing work of Jesus that it be applied to your life. Whatever it is you might like prayer for, please partake of communion and then go to our prayer team and allow them to pray for you. And just a reminder that the bread in the middle is gluten-free. Let's pray and then I'll invite you to come forward for communion. Jesus, yeah, we just want to take this time to worship you through communion, to remember you that you were born that first Christmas in order to live and inspire us to live well and then to die to make it possible for us to live in love like you. Well, we thank you for the example of your mother Mary. As we partake of the bread and the juice, we, as we come, we ask you to fill us again with your life and presence. We, we pray that you would empower us through your spirit to live with the faith, courage, and tenacity that we see in Mary. Thank you that through communion we can come forward as a statement of our faith and worship and that you will fill us with more of your presence and power as we take the time, even as we come forward through communion, to invite you to empower us once again. We give thanks and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus.